Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Tech Disruptors podcast hosted by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this podcast, we speak with C-level company executives and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Wujin Ho, analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, and today I'm pleased to have Vast Data CEO, Renan Hollick. Hi, Renan. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Now, before we kick things off, uh, I just want to uh, give a little bit of a small background about Vast. Uh, the company has come across my radar screen a while back as part of our storage research. Now, uh, recently they did a, a round of funding uh, back in December, which tripled its valuation to $9 billion. So that prompted me to do a little bit more work. And what I've learned was uh, you're not getting to $9 billion at, with storage alone. Uh, they're actually trying to tackle some really hard problems in the storage and data layers to help uh, support the growing adoption of Gen AI and large language models, uh, which is why I invited Ren into the podcast. Now, um, thanks again for, have, uh, for coming to the podcast. Now, Ren, I'd like to start uh, my discussion with something I like to call the elevator pitch. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you're an old hat at it, especially given that you had the latest um, uh, funding round. Uh, what is uh, Vast Data's uh, elevator pitch? So the reason we exist is because of these new AI workloads, and they require much more information. We moved from analyzing numbers to pictures and video and sound and genomes and natural language, and they require much faster access to that information. Um, and that means that a new type of infrastructure, a new data platform is required in order to enable these AI workloads, and that's what we've built, and that's what we work, we're working on improving every day. Got it. So so you are talking about changes in the data structure, right? So you're talking about structured and unstructured data. So specifically, are there any particular markets that you are disrupting today? And what is, it, it sounds as if the problem you're trying to solve is combining the, uh, the structured and unstructured uh, data layers. That's correct. Historically, we only knew, computers only knew how to analyze structured data, basically numbers and rows and columns of a database. And now with these new um, deep learning capabilities, they can understand and analyze and generate insight from everything. And so everything is obviously unstructured. Mm -hmm. um, what we see more and more of is that large unstructured data sets get analyzed uh, by these very, very fast GPUs. First, you mm -hmm. train on the information to build a new AI model. And then when you have that model, you infer on all of the information that comes in. But ultimately, what you want to do is understand what's underlying. And that means giving it structure. And so our data platform includes both a data store and a database such that you can accept all of this unstructured information, give it structure, and then query and ask intelligent questions about the underlying data through this metadata layer. Got it, got it. So it sounds like you're doing something vastly different, right, no pun intended, from the traditional storage guys, uh, pure storage and, and, and NetApp. I mean, what are you doing differently from those guys that allowed you to get away from being a storage-only vendor to a data structure provider. So, so Renan, you're, you're clearly doing something different from the storage guys, right, um, in, in trying to add a, a layer of structure to 
uh, to the data on unstructured to unstructured data. Um, but you know, NetApp and Pure Storage they also provide and, and handle data, uh, manage it, so to say. What are you doing differently from the traditional storage vendors? Our difference is in the architecture. Um, our greatest advantage is that we started late, um, a lot later than NetApp and quite a bit later than Pure Storage uh, that you mentioned. Um, when we started in 2016, we were able to see the new problem, the deep learning problem, and understand the scale and performance that will be required uh, by these new workloads. At the same time, we had at our disposal, or at least were able uh, to understand what was coming in terms of underlying technologies that we used in order to build an architecture that is pretty much the opposite of the way large scale systems were built before. And that new architecture allowed us to break the fundamental trade-offs between scale and performance and resilience and price and ease of use and enable these new applications in a way that the old systems could not. Got it. Now, now, you, now you're going from the storage layer to the data platform layer, and that puts you um, uh, on, on the same level of where Snowflake is and uh, Databricks is right now. Um, but I'm also hearing the same thing. You're doing something differently uh, where Snowflake and Databricks uh, are limited to some degree. What are you di doing differently from them? Because um, clearly, again, I'm falling back to the nine billion dollars. You know, the private equity guys see something that, that's unique and disruptive to your technology versus theirs. That's right. Those companies have a much fuller um, portfolio of services. Both of the companies that you just mentioned have both a uh, data warehouse and a compute uh, framework, as well as some form of storage services. So on, on the face of it, it looks similar. But again, when you look at the details, you'll realize that what we've built was built for a different era. Those companies were built for the machine learning era. Um, the best way I think to contrast is to look at the average size, data set size um, of a customer. I think if you'd look at those companies, you'll find that it's tens of terabytes. In the case of VAST, it's tens of petabytes. So three orders of magnitudes larger. And that's because these data sets are so different. Again, they're not numbers anymore. They're natural data coming from the natural world. And it's no longer CPUs analyzing the information. It's GPUs and TPUs, which are a lot hungrier for data. And so the old way of, of building infrastructure um, doesn't scale to the levels that are required today and definitely not to the levels that will be required over the next few years. Uh, you need our new architecture in order to um, enable uh, these new deep learning applications. So, so who are some of your uh, industry early adopters and, and do the customers, are they already seeing those types of limitations that you're describing uh, where they're coming to you? Yes, so we have uh, quite a range of uh, verticals that we sell to. Um, here in the New York area, a lot of financials, uh, both big banks and hedge funds and um, insurance companies. Um, up in Boston, a lot of uh, healthcare and life science, medical imaging companies, um, genomics, 
uh, places like the Broad Institute and Martino Center and Harvard and MIT, um, autonomous driving vehicle companies like Mobileye, uh, government agencies, media and entertainment companies like Pixar have all standardized on VAST over the years. Um, more recently, we've been selling a lot into AI clouds, which are at the, at the center of this AI revolution, making um, these new abilities accessible um, to enterprises. And yes, um, they would not have come to us, um, a newer company, if the old technologies were able to solve their problems. So, so give me an example of where a customer is taking, um, from a vertical standpoint, unstructured data and structured data and, and putting into their large language models or their, or their AI engines uh, to come up with a desired output. Because that's still a, a fairly relatively new concept because it's not really, really hasn't been done much yet, I'm assuming. It's very, very new. Um, everyone's uh, trying to get started. Our customers have been on this journey for quite some time, which is how we were able to, quote unquote, see the future. It was through our customers um, who have been building these very large scale uh, clusters, um, even before ChatGPT existed. Uh, we have a large hedge fund that has 500 petabytes of uh, VAST. That's a combination of all kinds of things. It can be satellite images, it can be news feeds, Twitter feeds, it can be tick data, which is more on the structured side. And then they combine all of that information in order to understand how to trade and um, what, what, what to do going forward. And so a company like that before maybe was only able to analyze a small subset of that data, mainly on the structured side. Now they can analyze everything before um, these processes were batch oriented, they had to wait overnight for results. Now everything is interactive and they can get the results very, very quickly. Um, before they needed different pieces of infrastructure for different applications and for different teams. Now they can consolidate everything into this one universal platform. Got it. So, so I almost get the sense that customers are finding new applications using your data platform. Um, and, and, and new ways of looking at data. That's correct. Um, uh, doing their, Pixar okay. went up on stage and, and said that they couldn't have developed the last few films if it wasn't for Vast, not just because of uh, fast access to more information, but because now they can augment their animators with AI and get much better results than they could in the past. Got it. Now, we, we recently did an AI event in New York, and um, we had the, uh, the head of engineering at Scale AI, and large language models can go and grab data from multiple databases and may not need this one large data platform cloud warehouse. Uh, what you're thinking behind that in, in terms of um, one large data warehouse versus accessing data from multiple sources to, to get to the outcomes that you need? What they're doing today in large part is, as you say, they pull the data from a lot of different systems and then they analyze it as part of the AI system. What we're seeing is that rather than move the data to the AI system, uh, customers want more and more to bring the AI system to their data. 
and the existing uh, data solutions and storage systems are simply not scalable enough and not fast enough to enable that. And so they need that bifurcation. They need those uh, silos. But if you think about it two, three years in the future, the same exact information that you've been uh, storing and um, um, generating for your operating systems and your operational systems, you're going to want to leverage under these new capabilities. And so our vision of one uh, data lake that can support both the operational systems, the backup systems, all of your different applications, but at the same time, make all of that information accessible to uh, these new uh, GPUs and GPU clusters is something that's really attractive um, to many enterprises. So um, I, I know you're you're a, a software company, um, uh, but but uh, how much of the evolution of hardware and these GPU clusters really, um, I guess, accelerate your your growth and and, and your capabilities? And as uh, more uh, enterprises and corporates are adopting um, uh, AI infrastructure, does that broaden, um, I guess, your audience for your products? It does. Um, and it's been accelerating our growth significantly. Um, this year, um, expecting that we will grow faster than we did last year on a percentage basis, which we did not expect when we started the year. Um, and that is mainly due to these new um, types of applications that are being driven predominantly by new abilities at the compute and chip um, layers. And so NVIDIA is our uh, one of our best partners. Um, NVIDIA is also an investor in VAST, and we've been leveraging um, their hardware technologies in order to innovate at the software layer from day one. We could not have built our software if it wasn't for these new underlying hardware innovations that come from companies mm -hmm. like NVIDIA. Um, and so, yes, we it's definitely accelerating our growth. Got it. Um, now, um, my understanding in terms of doing, in terms of my research, it seems as if you're not done. We've had CoreWeave uh, on, our, on, prior, on a prior podcast, and I see that you have a relationship with them. Um, could you just talk, talk briefly on your relationship with GPU as uh, service vendors? as well as a relationship with uh, the hyperscalers? I mean, is this something that the hyperscalers can do on their own or, or do you also work with them as well? Um, that's a great question. CoreWeave is an amazing company. Um, they've been growing faster than anyone that I've seen in this space. And um, we've partnered with them to offer our data platform to their customers and to help them build their cloud and compete with the high-level services that um, other hyperscalers provide using our platform. And so um, what you find out there is that you have different types of data platforms and storage systems. You have ones that are enterprise grade that have high availability and uh, resilience and snapshots and replication and um, quality of service and multi-tenancy, all of the functionality that a cloud requires and enterprise requires. And then you also have parallel file systems that are extremely fast and scalable 
but that don't have any of those abilities that I just mentioned. As AI makes its way from the research center into the enterprise and into the cloud, it requires both. And vast data today is the only uh, system that I'm aware of that sits at that intersection. And in fact, we're the only NAS vendor that is certified today by NVIDIA for SuperPod. So wherever we find an enterprise or one of these new clouds, um, we, we make a perfect fit for that reason. And um, yes, I think it's a good question of whether or not the, the large hyperscalers will be able to do this on their own or whether they'll be partnering in one way, shape or form um, with these new AI clouds in order to provide large scale AI services in the future. So, so, so how would that work? Because uh, one, of, one of our themes this year has been hybrid cloud, multi-cloud type of solutions, right? Data, like you said, data doesn't reside on one data set, uh, one, one database, but now you're talking about um, different silos of data, whether it's on-prem or off-prem. Um, and I know that the traditional storage providers are trying to bridge to the cloud. I'm, I'm assuming that your solution tries to do that as well. I mean, wh where do you think um, the migration of AI will be? Is it going to be mainly an on-prem, off-prem? How do you solve that? Will the enterprises be able to use your solutions uh, maybe sometime in the future? It almost sounds as if you're trying, you, you could potentially be an AWS service. We don't provide services. We partner with service providers uh, to provide services by leveraging our software. Um, but the answer is, I think it'll be all of the above. I think the fact that we're talking about natural data means that it's globally distributed, that it's close to the edge, that it's close to the source of the information. And it would be uh, very inefficient to move all of that data to a central location in order to train on it and infer on it. And so what you require is what we call um, the vast data space, which is in addition to the vast data store, our unstructured storage system and the vast database giving it structure, you want all of that information accessible across public cloud, private cloud, edge and device. We talked about autonomous driving vehicles. Why not have a vast instance in the car or in the genome sequencer or in the video camera. And once you have all of these vast instances spread across the globe, what we build is one global namespace that stitches them all together such that you can write from wherever the data originates and then you can read from wherever you need to analyze that piece of information. And that, that is the future that we're envisioning and building uh, for our customers. So, so, so implied in that, you actually have a very small software footprint in, in, on the device level. That's correct. Um, not all of the vast instances require persistence. Um, obviously, some of them will have hundreds of petabytes. Others can just be an access point or an agent into this vast data space. Got it. So you're actually going after the edge as well, which is, which is that's where the future of AI is going, getting closer to the, the consumer itself. Um, all right, so, so you've, you've tackled storage, you've tackled the data layer, uh, you kind of hinted in your earlier remarks that you're going up the chain on, on the compute layer. Um, I mean, wouldn't that put you head to head with some of your customers as well if you're going up that compute layer? 
I think the way uh, compute has been done in the past is very different than the way that it needs to be and in the way that our customers would like to see it. Uh, no longer do you find virtual machines in these new AI clouds. No longer do you have an application that's writing data to a storage system in a database uh, system and then reading that data back. What they would like to see is everything being data-driven. A new picture flows into the system, that should trigger a function. Maybe it's an incremental training function to build a better AI model over time. Maybe it's an inference function that does facial recognition and understands what's in that picture. Those functions get triggered by the data and then they get run on the data and they create new insights and new understandings which then gets, get placed in the database as metadata. And that metadata can now trigger new functions um, that need to run um, as a consequence. And so what you end up building is this big recursive machine that is, again, data-driven. And for that, you need a new type of compute infrastructure. And that's what we call the vast data engine. It's that third leg of the stool, the data store, database, and data engine. And all three of them uh, span across space as part of the vast data space. Um, the data engine is not generally available yet. It is coming later this year. I, I'm, I'm assuming your current customers understand it because they probably asked for it. But it still sounds as if, uh, if, if you talk to traditional technology infrastructure customers, um, it, it, it's still a, a, a new type of approach. I mean, is, is it an easy concept for most customers to understand outside of your base? It's definitely um, not as straightforward as what we've done so far. Uh, when you're talking about storage, those are all standard protocols, NFS, yep. SMB, S3. When you're talking about database, you have structured query language as a pretty standard protocol. Uh, once you start talking about the core of the computational engine, um, our customers need to change something in the way that they build their applications in order to use it. So I don't expect everyone to use it, and I don't expect the ones who do um, to jump on uh, the minute it's ready. Um, but we do feel that that's the future of computation. And like you said, everything that we build is based on customer requests. And um, we never have any of these great ideas in a vacuum. Um, it's our customers that have been showing us the future because they're on the bleeding edge of large-scale AI, and they have been asking for this. And so I expect everyone else will likely want uh, to do something similar um, in a few years from now. Now, speaking of customers, um, revenue does the talking. Right, and if, when I look at your your last round of financials, uh, two hundred million dollar ARR base in your last annual report—that's you know a pretty nice uh, trajectory. But could you just walk us through the trajectory? You know, since the inception, how did you how quickly you got to two hundred million dollars? And uh, you mentioned earlier that um, it seems as if growth is going to be faster in twenty four than in twenty three. And and what what's uh, driving that? Yeah. We started selling late. Um, it took us about three years until we had a product that we felt good about and that we wanted to start um, charging money for. The reasons for that are varied, but 
on the one hand, we are very conservative. Uh, when you um, store and manage your customer's information, that's a lot of trust. And we never want uh, to um, betray that trust. And so we wanted the system to be bulletproof uh, before we let our customers put production data on it. It also took a while to understand how to build all of these things. And we needed to wait for some underlying technologies that weren't ready yet when we started. And so we only started selling really in 2019. Um, we got to, we got from 1 million in ARR to 100 million in ARR in less than three years. And we've been growing that uh, very quickly subsequently. Um, as of that number, we've been growing faster than 3x year over year. And at the same time, um, been very, very efficient in the way that we do it. We're not burning through cash in order to fuel that growth. In fact, on average for the last three years, we've been cash flow positive and nearly all of the money that we've raised from the beginning of the company um, is on our balance sheet right now. And I was going to ask you about running the company cash flow positive. It seems as if it's clear that you're um, uh, you're, you're running a, a very tight ship, and, and I'm assuming that's one of the reasons uh, why you were able to raise the money that you have been right. Because the the funding environment, let's be let's be frank here, it's been fairly tough, and um, it it seems as if um, one three x uh, ARR growth is, is very attractive, and two, you're doing it profitably. I mean, why did you even need the money, given that you are profitable? Um, we don't expect to actually use the money, but we wanted to partner with these funds. Uh, Fidelity led this round, um, NEA. Um, it has been a longstanding dream of mine to partner with them. Uh, we get to work with people like uh, Jay Simon from Bond, um, who built Atlassian um, and Drive also um, participated in a very big way in this round, the more smart people we have around the table that can guide us on this journey and maybe guide us away from potential landmines, the bigger our odds of success are. And so that has been uh, the main reason for taking this money. As you can see, we optimized for less dilution um, and higher valuation. Um, it's not a big portion of the valuation that we actually raised because of that reason. So, so um, it, it's clear that you're going to try to keep that on the balance, on the books for now. Uh, but how are you thinking about in, in terms of capital investment, in terms of driving future growth? What are, where are your areas of investment to drive growth? Is it people? It is people. We are a software company and uh, people are our number one expense and our greatest resource. Um, I tell the team, hire every great person that you find and don't hire any not great person that you find. And that's what's been limiting our, our, our growth, frankly. Uh, but that's the way we like it. We don't want to lower the bar uh, because we believe great people can do things that others cannot. Um, we invest primarily in R&D and on the go-to-market side. Those have been our two pillars on which the company stands. And um, of course, R&D building uh, the next generation of amazing products. And we have a very, very, very rich roadmap ahead of us. And then go to market, making sure that that product makes its way 
um, to the right customers and to the right partners, um, those are the two places that I am most focused on. So I said um, that the funding environment is uh, pretty tough, but um, what do you think the state of the funding environment is in general today for, for private companies? Uh, that's a hard question. I don't know is the honest answer because I don't look much to the right and to the left. I uh, mainly am focused on building vast with the great team uh, that we've assembled here. I can tell you that there's a lot of interest from investors um, in this AI revolution and that um, I like to give the analogy of the internet wave. When the internet started in the mid nineties, it was very difficult to say which websites will be successful and which ones would not. Um, it was even difficult to say which hosting providers will be successful, but it was a relatively safe bet to um, invest in the infrastructure providers like Cisco, for example. Uh, the plumbing is always um, safer than the application level. And I think that's what we represent. Um, NVIDIA obviously sells the compute, the GPUs, and the networking based on their Mellanox acquisition. We like to come in right next to them and sell the storage system and the data platform um, on top. And I think that's the reason why um, I can't say it was easy, but it was possible for us um, to raise at this time at this valuation. Um, I don't know how wide um, or how, how you can generalize that to other companies. Got it. Um, all right. La la last question. And this is the interview question. Uh, where do you think VAST will be at the end of 2024 since we're just kickstarting 2024? And you mentioned the product roadmap and it's clear that you have a, a long-term vision. You know, how do I, or how should uh, the audience think about uh, VAST five-year vision, especially given how fast-paced um, this whole world of AI infrastructure is? Yes. I think for the next year, um, it's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, during 2023, everybody understood that AI is a new thing that needs to be um, thought of and noticed. And um, most companies did not have AI in their plan or in their budget during 2023. Um, I don't know of a single company that hasn't added it to their plan and budget in 2024. And so I think really uh, the large enterprises, governments, um, large organizations, are going to start leveraging these new technologies this year. And so I expect us to be at the forefront of enabling that, helping them on this journey um, into these new abilities. Five years from now, I like that you asked uh, what the five-year vision is and not the five-year plan, because we obviously don't have a plan that goes out that far. The vision or the dream has always been to enable thinking machines, to enable computers to do the things that in the past were um, only possible by human beings. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that world. I think computers today obviously can do a lot of things that only human beings could do two years ago or four years ago. Um, but when will they be able to generate their own ideas or their own scientific theories and then test those and advance humanity um, in the way that only people can do 
today and perhaps solve some of the very, very hard problems that we've been struggling with around uh, disease and climate. And that, that is the future that I am hopeful for. And we're working hard to uh, see if we can bring it here sooner. That means you have to go further up the stack. That's correct. Right. Well, Renan, thanks. I, I think we'll wrap here. Uh, thank you, Renan, for sharing your thoughts. Thank you very much. And um, thank you, audience, for uh, joining us. Uh, we do have a great lineup for uh, future tech disruptors, uh, similar to Renan from Vast. So hit the subscribe button to keep up to date with the podcast and not miss an episode.